Okay, our chapter for today is Ephesians chapter 2. In this chapter, Paul is still laying the theological foundation uh, for all the the exhortations that he'll uh, give in the final three chapters. Uh, So here he's showing what is true of every born-again believer, as well as what is true of every local church gathering of the redeemed in Christ. This is an incredibly rich and rewarding chapter. Um, it, It is most definitely worthy of being read again and again and again uh, in careful detail. But let's, let's take a close look at, um, I want to point out three things uh, quickly that we can, we can uh, take away from Ephesians 2. Um, Paul, here's the first thing. Paul opens the chapter with a, a really sobering reality uh, about ourselves. Apart from the saving work of Christ, we come into this world, according to verse 1, dead in our trespasses and sins. He's also going to say that, um, that in verse 3, that apart from Christ, because we're dead in our sins, we are also children of wrath, meaning uh, because we're dead in our sins, God's just condemnation rests on us. But it's that word dead that deserves careful attention. The Greek word Paul used there in verse 1 is nekros, which means, unsurprisingly, dead. <laughs> Not to get too graphic, but that's where we get the word necropsy, uh, which is another word for an autopsy performed usually on a dead animal. Um, so when Paul says that apart from Christ, we are dead, necros, in our sins, he means there is absolutely no spiritual life whatsoever within us. Why the need to be so careful about this point? For at least two, two reasons. First, This is a point that at times in church history has been heretically denied. Around the turn of the 5th century A.D., so around the turn of the 400s, a British monk named Pelagius, who lived around 354 to 420, Pelagius, a British monk named Pelagius, he denied that we are completely dead in our sins and that our wills, are still completely unaffected by sin. And thus, uh, we, we are completely free, even apart from the grace of God, to choose Christ for salvation or choose good or evil. We don't need help from God to choose Christ. Um, that's, that's what Pelagius taught. And uh, needless to say, uh, that view was declared heretical at the Council of Carthage in the year 418. A.D. 418, Council of Carthage. Um, later, a modification of this view was introduced, which was eloquently termed semi-Pelagianism. <laughs> Semi-Pelagianism would say that um, we, uh, we can make the first move toward God by ourselves, apart from his help. But then God... Uh, sees us making the first move and he responds to us by giving us his grace to keep us believing as long as we cooperate with him. Uh, This was an attempt to avoid having to credit all of our salvation to the grace of God, but also not crediting ourselves with it. Um, And so it's semi-Pelagianism. But this too was declared a a heresy at the Council of Orange uh, in AD 529. Unfortunately, though, despite being condemned as heresies, there are many professing believers who still hold, perhaps unintentionally, I guess, views similar 
to these. Why were these declared heresies, though? Because the scriptures clearly say that we are spiritually dead in our sins, not just sick or slow, dead. And a person cannot save himself or herself or even make the first move to save himself or herself. Therefore, if we would be saved, it must be all of God or not at all. Um, and, and indeed, that's what the Bible says. Paul, in this very chapter, Paul goes on to say in verses 4 and 5, but God, you know, having established in verses 1 and 3 that we were dead in our trespasses, but God, being rich in mercy, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. God made us alive, it says. He doesn't respond to us. He enables us to respond to him. So I emphasize this for one reason, because historically some Christians have thought too highly of their own spiritual abilities and have thus denied the clear biblical teaching on this point. And the second reason I highlight it is because if we deny that we are truly dead in our sins apart from Christ, and we totally evacuate what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 of any rational meaning whatsoever. And it's to those verses that we now turn. Secondly, some of the most well-known and well-loved verses are Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. The, they're, they're well worth committing to memory. And, and the clear and unmistakable point of those verses is that our salvation, all of it at every point, is a gift of God's free grace. Consider verse 8, where Paul straightforwardly declares that it is by grace that you have been saved, as opposed to, to it being something of our own doing. It is a, completely a gift of God. And just in case that wasn't clear enough, Paul reiterates in verse 9 that it is not a result of works. In fact, from beginning to end, according to verse 10, we are God's workmanship. And have you ever considered another phrase that we see there in verse 10, where Paul literally says that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for and we should walk in them. Created in Christ Jesus. The word Paul used here for created um, is the same word that he would use in 1 Timothy 4.4 4 to talk about God creating the world. John also used that same word in in that sense in revelation 10 6 so just to be clear paul uses this word this greek word in first timothy 4 4 and john uses it in revelation 10 6 to talk about god creating the world that same word paul uses in ephesians 2 10 to say god created us in christ jesus so just as sovereignly as god created the heavens and the earth does God create us in Christ Jesus? We saw this idea back in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6, and also 5, 17. Remember that um, Paul has just noted twice that by ourselves, apart from his grace, we are dead in our sins, and there is no spiritual life, thereby no spiritual ability in us whatsoever. If we would take the first move and any other move toward his salvation, his grace must bring us. To say it another way, God must create spiritual life and ability in us where previously there was none. This is the epitome of not your own doing, according to verse 8. So don't be afraid to ascribe all glory and credit, every bit of it, for your salvation to the grace and power of God. Thirdly and finally, 
as the chapter moves on, Paul takes what he has just said about each individual Christian and applies it to the church as a whole. The church is a gathering of sinners saved by the grace of God, no matter the background. All come together as one new man in Christ, verse 15. But once together, our task now, according to verse 22, is to grow together in the faith. How, how best to do that? Well, the cornerstone of our faith is Jesus Christ and the salvation he has earned for us. Paul says um, that clearly in this passage. And he says the church is... As, is, as it grows, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Verse 20, what does he mean by the apostles and prophets? He means the scriptures. It's a shorthand way of referring to the scriptures. The prophets foretold Christ. The apostles reflected on Christ. We're built on the scriptures. We grow together as a church through reading, reflecting on, and obeying together the scriptures. We don't earn our salvation that way, which was earned for us by Jesus, but we grow in that way. So last exhortation of this chapter is don't neglect the scriptures in your life and in the church. Those are just a few thoughts from Ephesians chapter 2.